welcome to the Narcissist Apocalypse Podcast, a show that gives a voice to narcissistic abuse survivors. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thank you for showing up this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Generally speaking, a narcissist is a person who has an excessive sense of how important they are. They demand and expect to be admired and praised by others and are limited in the capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. And guess what? Not all our narcissists are made equal. Yes, that's true. Narcissism is a character trait that exists on a spectrum. A small amount of narcissism is healthy, and a person with an unhealthy level of narcissism may be called a narcissist. At extreme levels, it may be diagnosed as narcissistic personality disorder. However, for the purposes of this podcast, a narcissist is a person who exhibits narcissistic traits and or a consistent pattern of maladaptive narcissistic behaviors, regardless of whether they meet the diagnostic criterion in the latest version of the DSM manual or have a formal diagnosis. So a person may be referred to as a narcissist on this podcast, even if it is more likely they have another cluster B personality disorder, such as borderline, histrionic, or antisocial personality disorder, so as long as they exhibit narcissistic traits or behaviors. And now, with all of that out of the way, let me just tell you that we have a narcissist abuse survivor on the show named Chantel, and that will be coming up very soon. But before I get to that interview, uh, you probably noticed that there is a slight change to the music on the show. There's no more audio over top of it anymore. Plus, I'm no longer going by the name Chad the Impaler. That moniker is gone. That was when we began this podcast. Our podcast is now maturing, and with that maturity, we'll be implementing some new changes over the next few weeks. Uh, it'll slowly happen. I have no idea the, uh, when those things will occur. It's all up, up to how fast I can get them done, and I'm going to be building a better website for the show, and we'll be streamlining all the social media into a more cohesive unified message that's dedicated to giving a voice to abuse survivors. So everything is moving forward. Some of them will be small ideas. We might have some larger ideas. Things are being tossed around, uh, but that will come after. And before any of that can happen, I just need to get all these things aligned and looking good first before these you know, small yet big ideas will show themselves. I'm not the best detail kind of guy being organized uh, and me aren't the greatest mix in the world. So I'm happy that a few people out there uh, have reached out to help me uh, without naming names. I want to just have a big thank you to all of you people that have been helping me and supporting me with the show. It really means a lot to me. And uh, this is uh, a lot of support that you're giving me and it feels really good. So I just want a big, uh, from the bottom of my heart, a big thank you uh, right back to all of you. Also, uh, if you are supporting the show, giving us reviews on iTunes or whatever service you use, such as Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, I think Spotify. Is, I don't know if Spotify has reviews, but you know you, somehow you can support us on there. I'm sure there's a way. Uh, Google Play, Google Podcasts. So do that. It helps the show out by leaving those reviews. Send in some nice emails. Those are always nice to read. And besides that, uh, socially, you know, things that I've been doing, uh, the other day I had my annual yes day and you're probably wondering what that means. Uh, you know, for a lot of my life, I've been a pessimist or a Debbie Downer sort in a way. 
And it's a real habit that was hard to break for me. So uh, a couple years ago, a friend and I created a day all kind of like on, it was just really on a whim. Uh, And it was all about saying yes. So whatever the other person said they wanted to do or they offered you, you had to say yes to. And nothing R-rated was allowed. And uh, this kind of adventure day was born. So the other day, the adventure transpired. It was a lot of fun. We started off uh, foot massages in Chinatown. Always a great time. You know, you felt uh, taken care of and you were doing some self-care there. So I was happy that that was said yes to. Uh, Then we had some dinner and uh, the other person that I was with, the big, I'll call that person Big E. Uh, Big E uh, chose a place where, thank goodness, there was nothing gross on the menu. So sharing was quite easy. I am a picky eater, so... Uh, that is a, a big sticking point for me, but it was, you know, I got through it. Then we walked around 6,000 steps on our way to this crazy art house, fun house in the city. And it was like this maze of art with different levels. You were walking downstairs, upstairs, through different corridors. And it was a pretty large facility. Um, it was really, ju- it was really uh, something that you had to see. Like the pictures online didn't do it justice. It was called Funhouse Toronto. The pictures online really didn't do it justice at all. Justice at all. And no pictures I took could do it justice. It really, you really had to be there. Uh, you know, it was, I said during the show, I mean, if you took LSD, which I'm not condoning because I don't do drugs anymore or I'm, I live a sober life. But if you took LSD your mind would have gone crazy. It would have possibly exploded from sensory overload. It was a really psychedelic uh, environment. So that was pretty cool. And then from there, you know, of course, I was going to say yes to milkshakes. Yes, I was also the person that said, let's go for milkshakes. So that was a great end of the night. And then we walked another 6,000 steps home. So we got exercise. We ate and we did a couple of fun things, took care of ourselves at the same time. It was a great night. So also, I just want to big a, a big thanks to my friend Big E for our annual adventure. And now, I'm going to get out of my own way here. I've talked long enough. Here is my interview with narcissist abuse survivor named Chantel. And I will check back with you when it is all over. And for everyone out there, thanks for tuning in today. With me, I have a narcissist abuse survivor named Chantel. How are you doing, Chantel? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. So you are a child of a narcissist and yeah. uh, a lot of other things you're about to tell us uh, in your story. And now I'm going to just uh, get out of your way. And if I interrupt you, I apologize. The floor okay. is yours. Thank you. So I was raised by a narcissistic mother. Um, and unfortunately, my dad was out of the picture a lot because he was working a ton. Um, so he didn't really realize what was going on for a lot of my childhood. Um, and so chaos kind of became my normal. Um, and I'm definitely struggling with not living in chaos now as an adult, but Um, Before I get into that, my narcissistic mother, I think, had a two-prong approach. Um, The first one being that she was secretly mean. Um, So it was never something that she outwardly portrayed to people um, outside of the home. And whenever I would try to communicate to people that I was 
experiencing this or, or dealing with this, um, they were surprised and, you know, tried to make excuses because outwardly she portrayed this really um, gentle, calm, quiet person, but that was not what I was experiencing at home. And the second part is what I refer to as an emotional vampire. Um, my mom just sucks the life out of you. And she, you know, puts all of her emotions and feelings onto me. So it became really difficult as a young person to acknowledge my own thoughts and feelings because she would all, always put, put those down and um, make her own emotions seem more important. So when my parents separated when I was a teenager and my mom moved out, it just started this downward spiral because she didn't have anybody else to be an emotional vampire with, I guess. Um, and so I started really struggling because she was putting a lot of blame on me and making me feel like I was the reason that my parents had separated, even though my mother had um, an affair. So that was definitely the reason. And, you know, she, I guess there's this really great story that I always like to tell that really describes my mother. And as a young girl, I fell down the stairs in our house and I was so sad. I really hurt myself, but I was just like shocked, I guess, that I had fallen down the stairs and, you know, I was crying and she came over to me and I thought, this is it. This is the moment that my mom is going to nurture me. And she looked at me and she said, that was so loud. You could have broken the tiles. Get up. You look ridiculous. And I just, that is something that me because I felt so terrible in that moment. And just, I convinced myself that I was eventually going to have this great relationship with her, like all of my friends and, you know, people that you see on TV that, especially as a, as a woman, um, there's always these great mother daughter relationships, but that is not what I had. Um, and over the years, I was really struggling with anxiety and depression, as I said, and everything kind of came to a head in June of 2017. And, um, I was hospitalized and I spent two weeks in the hospital and I was working really, really hard to get myself back on track. Um, I was really embarrassed, even though I shouldn't have been, but I was, I was embarrassed that that's what was happening. So you're hospitalized um, for was, a, for a mental disorder, mental disorder, not physical. Right. Mental. Yeah. So I was dealing with suicidal ideation and really, really bad depression. Um, and so when I got out of the hospital, I guess word got around to some of my mom's side of the family that I had been in the hospital and my mother started telling people that, um, I blamed her for everything and that, you know, she was the reason I wanted to kill myself. And she made this sob story so much so that her family started reaching out to me and telling me that I needed to be kinder to my mom, more patient with her loving, you know, she needed me. And why was I making this 
all about me. And that obviously felt really awful as well because I had just gotten out of the hospital and I was just kind of getting back on my feet and, and, you know, trying to feel like I was in a good place. And then I had these family members that were telling me I was the one doing something wrong. So I've definitely grown up with a ton of guilt and shame, um, not only around like feeling like I'm worth anything, but also around feeling anything. Like I don't feel comfortable sharing my emotions with people. And I definitely think that that has a ton to do with my mother and and how she has always made me feel like I just wasn't enough. So for a long time, I didn't, I didn't necessarily relate to being a narcissist narcissist abuse survivor um, because I didn't really know what that even meant. And somebody close to me suggested that I read this book called Will I Ever Be Good Enough? Um, Healing the Daughters of Narcissist Mothers by Carol McBride. And it's a popular one, but I had never heard it. And when I read it, I felt like my whole world was falling apart, but also like being built up again because I had never related to anything as much as this book. And I realized that this was exactly what was happening to me. So I think once I realized that that was the situation, I was able to try to tackle it a little bit more, but, you know, as I said, like I spent 10 years in therapy trying to work on my anxiety and my depression and my own self-esteem, but never talking about my mom, who was such a big part of why I was struggling with everything else. So why do you think you danced around it for so long? Were you, were you, did you subconsciously think, uh, know what was going on and just didn't want to deal with it? Or was it just something you at that time were oblivious to, or you thought this is how mother daughter relationships work. Why should I question it? Um, I think it was a combination of things. My mother never supported me going to therapy And she always told me that therapy was wrong because you were not supposed to talk about family family problems with anybody else. So I definitely had a lot of guilt and shame around talking about her in therapy. At what age did she sow those seeds? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think I started seeing a social worker in elementary school, like late in elementary school. And as soon as she heard that I was wanting to do that, she immediately said, no, like you don't talk about family stuff outside of family. So it was quite early. My mom grew up in a home with um, a father who was an alcoholic and was abusive to her mother. So I think that it was absolutely passed down to her that your home life is secret and you don't talk about it and you don't acknowledge that anything is going on um, because you want everybody else to think everything is fine. 
And did you have siblings or are you an only child? I do. I have a younger sister. She's 10 years older than me. So I think she has a different perspective on our life growing up. Um, but my parents separated right after she was born. So I think she was spared. I hope she was spared a lot of it. And do you have a relationship with her? Yes. Yeah. Um, she lives with my dad, so we are very close. And so after this episode happened in 2017, your mom, uh, tries to make everything about her when you were the one that ended up in the hospital. Uh, what happens after? Well, I was actually getting married a few months later and I had really struggled with whether or not I wanted her to be there and be involved in that process. Um, but she essentially guilted me into it. So she was there and she made the entire day about her, unfortunately. Um, and my best friend who was my maid of honor worked really hard to try and get my mom to, you know, essentially shut up and just be there. But she, you know, complained about her hair and her makeup and that she didn't like her dress and all of this stuff. Um, and shortly after that, for the rest of that year, I was really unsure of how to handle our relationship. And I felt like every time I was in a good place, she would kind of pop up into my life and I would just start spiraling downward. So, um, I guess it was last February of 2018. Um, I decided that I was going to go no contact, but I haven't been entirely successful. Um, and that's been difficult as well. But the more that I set boundaries, I think the more I'm really moving forward in my recovery. So what happened where you tried to go no contact and how did it uh, break? Yeah, so over the years, this isn't the first time that she's done this, but over the years, my mom has threatened suicide to get me to respond to her. Um, And, you know, I've tried to work out that realistically, um, if she was going to do that, there was nothing that I could do or say to to stop her and that, you know, it isn't my responsibility to take care of her or look after her. But as I'm sure you know, that that's very difficult to um, come to terms with. And so um, when she threatened suicide most recently, I was worried because I have a younger sister who I don't want to have to deal with this. And so I, I did reach out to her, um, And then since then, it's kind of been very, very minimal contact, but still enough that it bothers me. So, like, I will say, like, happy Mother's Day or, like, happy birthday. Um, And then she always takes that as, like, an invitation to call me or try to convince me that we should go have dinner. But I, you know, I don't want to do that. So I continue to say no. Um, But she's started taking the manipulative route and trying to go through my younger sister to get me 
to spend time with her. So all of this is to say that through, I guess, through my childhood and kind of how I've been brought up, aside from the more common things like dealing with anxiety and depression, I've been working through dealing with perfectionism. And that doesn't manifest for me in terms of being highly organized necessarily or like having a super clean house or something. It's more um, in my work. So I definitely feel like I'm a workaholic and I have, since I was young, attributed my sense of worth with how successful other people see me. So even if I think I'm successful or doing well, if I'm not getting that recognition from other people, I don't feel like it's enough. And the work that I've done has led me to believe that this is because I was a really good student and I worked really, really hard and I was always coming home with straight A's and yet it was never good enough. And, you know, my mom was never happy or proud of me. I have no memory of her ever saying, I'm proud of you or I love you, nothing like that. So over the years, I've tried to compensate for that. And I've become, you know, obsessed to the point where I don't think it's healthy, but obsessed with work and trying to make myself appear useful to others. And, and it's, how, how, oh, is, how has this served you? Like, uh, it, how is your life now being that person and are you trying to not be that person anymore or is that something Mm -hmm. that you um are okay with being i mean i don't i don't love it i i don't think that it serves me i think that it's i'm using it as a type of shield or like protective mechanism because i don't want people to, I don't want to be, um, looked at as less than, or, you know, the way that my mom always made me feel and I'm good at doing work. Like I, I can work, I can get a job done. I can be committed. So I'm good at that. And so I want people to know I'm good at that because I've constantly craved, um, approval and yeah. And, you know, just, I think it really came to fruition in university when I was in university and I was really, really depressed and I was struggling so much and I was trying to get accommodation through my school and I was dealing with a TA that was so awful and she didn't want to give me accommodations, you know, even though I had all the prop proper documentation and everything. And I ended up graduating at the top of my class with a 4.0 and I felt like crap. It could just, it wasn't enough. And I just kept thinking, okay, I need to do more. I need to do better. I need to be better. And it's, you know, it's, it's tiring. It's exhausting. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask if you were, (laughs) if you were tired. So are you tired of yourself in, in that sense? And is this something I mean, do you want to uh, not be a perfectionist anymore? Is that something that Mm -hmm. you actually want? 
Um, yes. How, but, in, in your mind, what would what would have to happen for for that to occur? Yeah. So I I am exhausted with myself, and I definitely there's a part of me that doesn't want to be a perfectionist, but there's another part of me that thinks that that's all that I have. And so if I'm not good at something, this thing work, then am I just useless? That's kind of what I've been working on in therapy, trying to get out of that mindset. But I think I have no idea what would need to happen for me to get out of this cycle. I think that one of the hardest things for me is being open and being comfortable talking about how I feel or why I feel certain things. And I think that that's part of the reason that I was attracted to this podcast because it's very therapeutic to talk about things that have happened to you, but I'm always scared to do it. So I guess you're, you're lacking a trust of, uh, yourself in a way. Yes, for sure. And because right now, you know, I guess it sounds like all of your self-worth is in your work. If, if yeah. that, that, yeah. So, uh, I guess you have to trust yourself that you're good enough without uh, any of that. So when you, when you're you're married, correct? Yes, I am. So when you ask your husband, like, what are all the qualities that were attractive to him about you? Uh, what does he say? Because obviously he likes you not because of work. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We've been together a long time. He. he he um he always says you know that i'm i'm kind and i'm empathetic and i you know put people before myself and you know he loves how much i love animals i'm like a crazy dog person and as much as he says those things and other people in my life are are able to identify things about me that are valuable aside from work you just don't believe it. I have it. a difficult time. You just mm-hmm. don't believe it. And listen, like, I'm not a doctor or anything. Like, I'm not saving lives. Like, I'm, my job is, you know, it's minuscule in the grand scheme of things, but it's one of the only things that I feel good at. So you need your self-esteem built in uh, other ways. And have you, have you been uh, doing anything like a... Uh, has your therapist given you any type of homework to work on your self-esteem? Yes. Yeah, but I'm very, um, not necessarily consciously, but unconsciously, I'm quite reluctant. Um, you know, she she um, likes to do a lot of meditations with me where she wants me to say things like, I love you and I'm proud of you to myself and I can never get those out. So, I think I'm really at the beginning stages of of being comfortable saying those things or, or hearing those things. Um, so I'm very early in that process, but I am trying to 
acknowledge that, you know, I have been through a lot and um, I feel this way and it's okay because I can work through it. Um, The thing about my relationship with my mother was that, you know, my feelings were never important and yes, feelings were supposed to be private, but her feelings were always important and her feelings should have, should always be discussed and I need to take care of her. And it was really this role reversal that I became the parent and she became the child. And so I don't know that I necessarily had the, the parenting that I needed because as I said, my, my dad was just constantly at work and I think he feels a lot of guilt around that, unfortunately, but I don't know. There's, there's definitely this part of me that thinks, and it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but, but that thinks maybe sometime when I'm older and she's older, we're going to have this great relationship. I feel like it's kind of sad that I think that because these types of people, they, they, they don't want to change. They are not going to change. Have you ever not been responsible in your life? <laughs> no. <laughs> and no. Have it's you, have, funny that you ask that. Uh, yeah. Um, have you always been an adult as a child? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm no doctor. I am no therapist. Um, but maybe, maybe you just need to not screw up, but um, have, you know, you told me before you, like we were on, before we uh, put this call on, that you went for massage as part of self-care. Maybe part of your self-care is letting yourself be a kid, be this child that is allowed to screw up, whatever it is. Like you've never been on a spring break. You've never, you know, do something irresponsible and then deal with the fact that after the fact, you're not a perfect person and nothing bad happened. Yeah, I mean, just a few years ago, my my husband found this kite that I guess had been some type of family heirloom. And, you know, he wanted to fly this kite. And I said to him, I've never flown a kite. And he said, what do you mean? How have you never flown a kite? You're in your mid-20s. Like, what are you talking about? And I just remember that my mom said I couldn't fly a kite because if I ran, I was going to get hurt. And then, you know, she didn't want to deal with that. So I never flew a kite as a child. And I, I never did a ton of things. So what are some of the things that you've always wanted to do? I mean, I don't know. I guess there are some things that I, I can't do anymore because I'm like, it, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, I was never that irresponsible kid. Like I, I never went to any parties in high school. I never broke any rules. Like I was always on the straight and narrow. But, and did, but did you guess, want, but did you want to? Um, I guess sometimes. Yeah. I, I definitely wanted to go out with my friends and, and, you know, be a kid, but I was so worried about what my mom was going to say if she found out and not in the way that most kids are like, you know, kids, 
get into stuff and they don't want their parents to find out. But it was for me, it was like, no, because she was going to just berate me and I was going to feel absolutely horrible. And, you know, she was never going to get over it. And I guess a part of me kind of feels a little bit jealous of my sister who's a teenager and, and she's, you know, she's messed up quite a bit. And I think it's good because that's how you, how you learn your own lessons and, you know, you grow as a person. But part of me looks at her and the trouble that she gets into and wonders, maybe if I had done a little bit of that, I wouldn't be so tightly wound. So you feel tightly wound. Oh yeah. Con- constantly. Like you're, you, you, oh, have, yeah. you have trouble relaxing, uh, in all situations. Oh yeah. I have to go for a massage like every week. Okay. <laughs> I have to force myself to relax because I can't. And there was a period of time where I was, I, I finished a work contract and I'm, I'm starting another one in a few weeks. And so I've just been at home and I'm losing my mind. You know, some people love that. They can sit down and watch Netflix and relax and enjoy their time because they feel like they've earned it. But for me, these these weeks of just sitting at home, I felt terrible. So what, what does your brain tell you while you're trying to relax? Yeah, I mean, is it, you, know, is you it, don't... Is it telling you that, like, you should be working uh, and things like that? Yeah. You're wasting your time? Exactly. Yeah, or like you're lazy, you know, if you don't work now, you're going to be poor and homeless and then you're never going to have a family and it just goes on this awful spiral. So you have like all these intrusive uh, thoughts and and, uh, I assume that your therapist has you also probably doing meditations of sort. Yeah. Yeah. How does (laughs) does that work? It's not for everyone. Uh, Yeah, I think I really struggled with them for a while because, again, I was trying to be, I was trying to have the perfect meditation experience where (laughs) no thought was going to pop into my head, right? Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry for laughing, but that was brilliant right there. Um, No, it's true. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the... The whole point of meditation uh, is to not really have a perfect experience in a way. Uh-huh. And you're, yeah, you're doing the opposite of, of the point of what it actually is. You're just supposed to, you know, like mindfulness and meditation. It's like the art of doing nothing and being okay with it. Right. Um, and sitting with yourself and being okay that you're just sitting there. There's no right way or wrong way of doing it, but a perfectionist like yourself and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are like you find a way for their brain to analyze it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, it's, that's a tough thing. Maybe, you know, in a sense, meditation is terrible, uh, for you in, in that you're trying to be a perfectionist, but at the same time, uh, when you would just let it go, which might be impossible for you, but over time, you never know, uh, if you work on these things, uh, little steps here and there, it might help you 
um, are you, are you going to try and be persistent with something like that? Or is that something you're like this at the beginning stages, you couldn't do it well. So you're just stopped. Is that another form of your perfectionism in some ways? Uh, yeah. Um, cause a lot of perfectionists, um, if they aren't good at something, uh, right away, uh, they'll stop in, uh, from other people because it can go both ways. Yeah, that's definitely something that I dealt with a lot growing up. And I think that the librarian at my elementary school pegged me when I was very young. And she told my parents that I shouldn't quit the robotics team. I don't know what I was doing on the robotics team, but she told them I shouldn't, you know, Chantel shouldn't quit the robotics team because every time things get tough, she runs away. And I cried so much when she said that. And I think, you know, I said to my parents that I was crying because it hurt my feelings, but I was crying because she had really nailed it. And that was scary. But yes, throughout my life, you know, there are plenty of things that I started and never finished because I didn't feel like I was good at it. And, you know, what was the point or why was I going to set myself up to fail? So, so in a, in a strange way, um, with, you know, going through school with all the skills that you have, you've probably in life picked the safest things that you know, you're good at right away that you can get in there. You can excel at, uh, you can be counted on by other people. They can see that you're doing well and you've kept this narrow focus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're in that narrow focus and you desperately want to get out of that narrow focus because there's so much other, other things that could make you happy. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, um, uh, is there other ways that you're working towards that? I mean, I'm, I'm trying, like I, I try to, and it sounds so silly, but I try to force myself to relax, you know, like I, I say, okay, I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to watch two episodes of this show and do nothing else. But the fact that I have to really set time constraints for myself, it's not because I think I'm going to sit there all day and watch TV. It's because I don't think I can last. Like, I I need to get up and do something. Um, So my therapist has been working with me to to find ways to to relax. And, you know, I I go to yoga. That's one of the ways that I am able to relax. Yes, I I actually got my teaching certification a few years ago. Okay. And that was really cool. But, you know, sometimes I, I can't get myself there. Oh, but once you're there, you like it, but once you're there, you like it. Exactly. But the problem, the difficult part for me is getting there. And I don't know if it's because I know that for at least an hour, I can't do anything or if there's something else, but because yoga is so physical, hello, Wait, I lost you there. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? You got to repeat whatever you just said because you just kind of, uh, that we dreaded a little bit of a drop call there. Sorry. 
And what was the last thing you heard? Hello? No, can you hear me? Keep on talking? Yeah. Okay, got you. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I was saying that I'm not sure because I know that for an hour I can't do anything and I have to really focus on my physical body or if it's something else, but I don't know. It's the, the difficult part is getting there and, and turning my brain off. How are your other relationships uh, in your life and how does, does this stuff kind of get in the way? It did. It definitely did. Um, in high school, I found myself in an emotionally abusive relationship and all of my friends were able to see that, you know, this person was terrible. Um, but for me, this person was what I, what I knew, like they were doing what I was used to. So that was obviously not a good situation for me. And I spent a lot of time with that person and they really wore me down. And I, I was really, really in a bad place, but thankfully now my relationships are good. I mean, I don't have a ton of people that I am very close with. And I think that has to do with my not trusting people. I, I can be very closed off for a while, but I, you know, I'm, I'm working on opening up to people and, and having the more personal conversations. Cause I, I definitely no longer relate to those surface level friendships. So in these relationships that you're now involved with, um, you're, you're going for these deeper level relationships, uh, that are satisfying to you, uh, and you're keeping everyone else at bay because, uh, do you have like a high tolerance or sorry, like a low tolerance now, and you're able to see these things from far away. So you're just keeping, uh, all the danger away. I think so. Like yeah. I, I'm probably being hyper vigilant and thinking that, you know, some people are exhibiting similar characteristics to my mom and I just don't. Yeah, Cause you described her earlier as an emotional or I guess an energy vampire, which I always. An emotional vampire. Yeah. yeah. Um, I used to call them uh, energy vampires cause they'd, mm -hmm. they'd, they'd find a good host such as yourself. They'd latch on to you. And they'd suck you dry until you had uh, nothing left to give uh, to yourself or to anybody. And then maybe they'd wait a little bit to see if you got replenished a little. And just as soon as you might need that energy for yourself again, they take whatever is there and you're constantly tired. And it just sounds to yep. me like you are constantly tired. And um, Have you uh, ever looked for like a support group for perfectionists? or people that are in like your same situation that might have the same story? No, I've not. And, um, for a long time I was dealing with a bit of agoraphobia. So fear of crowds and, and being in group settings. So, um, that was really difficult because a lot of, um, therapy for anxiety is group therapy. <laughs> and so I was never comfortable doing that. I think that, now I would probably be okay in these 
instances, but I've never really thought about it. So how did you, uh, you had agoraphobia. I did not know this. Uh, how did you, uh, get a handle on that? Yeah, it was really difficult, um, in university because I went to a huge university and, um, I was constantly having to speak in front of the class and interact with people. And it was really scary and I didn't want to do it. Um, and that's when I started taking therapy really seriously because I really wanted to be good. I wanted to be a good student. Um, and I eventually started taking medication. And since then I have taken a few different kinds, but I think I've, I've nailed a good, good one for now. Um, and that really helped uh, aside from, you know, doing CBT therapy and, and really working on what I was actually scared of. Like it, I wasn't ever really scared of people. What I was scared of was their judgment and um, not being liked or again, not getting that approval. What is, I guess, your day-to-day on uh, dealing with everything? Um, I think that I'm definitely in a way better place than I was, say, even a few months ago. And, you know, I, I do feel like no contact is the best thing for me. So I'm working really hard to be comfortable with my decision and not... Um, not let anybody else make me feel guilty because, you know, there are relatives, family members that think that they have a say and they want to say, oh, you, you know, she's your mom. You need to talk to her. You need to be there for her. She has no one, so on and so forth. But those people don't want to be around her because she sucks the life out of them too. So I think for me, really, my work is in accepting my decision. Before we wind down here, uh, what are, I guess, your biggest takeaways of someone who has been in in your spot, who's raised by a narcissist and has your kind of uh, tendencies and uh, how you're uh, dealing with everything? I think, you know, biggest thing that I've learned is it's okay to not be okay. And it's very easy for me to say that, but actually believing it is still difficult, but you know, it's okay to not be okay. And when, when you're dealing with a narcissistic person, especially um, an authority figure, you really take everything they say and you absorb it and it imprints on you. And, you know, I think a lot of young people probably have had to deal with what I have in that you just lose your self-esteem and your self-confidence and your value. But like, I am a whole person regardless of who my mother is or what she's doing or what she did. And that is really important for me to remind myself of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, yeah, you, you just have to, you know it. And you've heard it probably a million times. You, at one point, there has to be something where eventually you do believe it. And, yeah. and that's what you're working, uh, toward. And what, I think once you get there to actually believing it, um, then your life will change dramatically. I'm sure you'll be able to relax. Um, 
you know, and maybe maybe one day you'll be able to sit down and binge watch Netflix, uh, mm-hmm. a show from like beginning to end, even though that might scare the hell out of you. Uh, in one day? In one day. Like Stranger Things uh, 3 came out <laughs> yesterday. Um, my wish for you is if you like that type of show that you'll be able to binge watch the whole thing in one day. <laughs> okay, I guess that's my work. That, that's, that's the work. <laughs> if that's your kind of show. If you like other types of shows, then, then do that. Um, but I really want to thank you for being on the show today. Um, and I uh, thank you for uh, sharing your struggle, your journey, and hopefully we can have you on the show uh, again sometime to follow up to see uh, how, you, how you're progressing and how you're doing. Thank you for having me, and, and thank you for you know, creating a forum for people. Well, it, you're welcome, and it just happened one day, and uh, it's been, uh, I'm not going to say it's a blast, because sometimes there's, um, you know, there's sad stories, there's happier stories, but it, it's, it's been a, an interesting experience, um, and uh, I just I enjoy talking to people like you and, and uh, learning and seeing myself in a lot of people and also uh, noticing... Uh, things that I might be doing still that I thought maybe I wasn't doing. So it helps me a lot uh, at the same time. So thank you. And thank you to everyone else who's participated. And uh, that is our show for today. So once again, thank you, Chantel. And uh, for everyone else, have a great night. So that was my conversation with Chantel. And I'm sure many of you out there with narcissistic mothers or parents will resonate with her story. I really do think, uh, you know, she needs to take baby steps, making small mistakes and realizing that the world won't come crumbling down. And I think the more she experiences that feeling, the more she'll be comfortable with not feeling perfect. But that's not advice, by the way. That's just my opinion. So I can't get in trouble. That's just my opinion. It's not advice. Anyway. I really just want to thank Chantel once again for being part of the show. Also, after listening to this episode and while talking right now, I once again realize I need to start practicing uh, my speech again. I'm saying ums and ahs and you knows uh, way too much. It's out of control. Out of control. I have to slow down. I have to... I don't know if I should think more, but I have to, while thinking, not say, um, uh, or, you know. And right now, while trying that, it's making me talk really slow, and I should just move on from this right now. Anyway, I might also take maybe an improv class. Maybe that will also help me out to fix that or fix my speech. You never know. Besides that, before I leave, just a reminder for everyone to visit our Reddit page. If you wanted to discuss today's episode, you can go to reddit.com and look up our subreddit. What's our subreddit name? Narcissist Apocalypse, with a capital N on Narcissist and a capital A on Apocalypse. It's pretty easy. If you don't know how to maneuver your way through Reddit, you'll get the hang of it. It might be a little difficult to begin with, but you'll get there. Also, 
If you want to be on the show, even though we do have a backlog of episodes to put out still, you can always reach out at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. I got that email changed right now. We, you know, we'll eventually get to a better one than that with our actual NarcissistApocalypse.com. But for right now, NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com is the email you should get a hold of us at. Drop us a line there. Also, again, on our website, we have a voicemail recorder on there. And we would like you to record your letters to your narcissist that you never sent. We've had a letters to our narcissist episode before. I thought it was a great episode. If you go to our website, NarcissistApocalypse.com, on the right hand of the page, you'll be seeing a floating button that says voicemail recorder. You click on that, you record your message. If your message is long, record a second part on a, on a follow-up message, and I'll stitch it together for a future podcast. We're, we're accumulating these types of letters for the show to make a volume two of that episode, and we're, I'm really looking forward to that because I love that episode. And on that episode, I'll bring Melissa back because I love Melissa, and I love having Melissa on the show. And now, I think the show's over. The show is done. I hope you enjoyed the show. This has been the Narcissist Apocalypse Podcast. Good night. (laughs) 